Well, welcome to the Catholic School Leaders Podcast. Today, it is an absolute pleasure to have somebody that I admire very much, not only as a leader, but I also call him a friend, and that is Jason Curtis. He's the current president of St. Francis High School out in Santa Clara, California. Jason's held this position since June of 2019, and prior to that, he was at Cardinal Gibbons High School, where he was a teacher for three years, an assistant principal for three years, and then a principal and now head of school from 2006 to 2019. Prior to that, he served as a social studies department chair and a varsity volleyball coach at Art Bishop Mitty High School from August of 97 to July of 2000. He holds a degree, in, a master's degree in school leadership from Marymount University and a bachelor's degree from Santa Clara University. So Jason has a certification from North Carolina's Department of Public Instruction and has his principal license. Jason, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, John. It's great to see you. Well, it was great to see you as well. So tell us a little bit about uh, your role in Catholic education and, and the role Catholic education played in your life, not only growing up, but just in all those various positions that you've held. Yeah. Uh, so as you mentioned, I've been uh, almost 30 years in Catholic education. And it's funny, of course, the older I get, the more you see the threads come together, because I, I'm not sure that the Sisters of Mercy back in second grade ever thought that I would be uh, teaching or in charge of anything at, at Catholic schools. So I, I definitely grew up in Catholic education, and, and I think every year now I really see more and more how that's played a role. You know, Catholic grade school, the Sisters of Mercy, as I mentioned, and then the, uh, the Augustinians in high school, the Jesuits in, in college. And I think, you know, I, I joke, um, at Sister Mary, way back when, when I was very young, told my parents that I was not very good with free time, so they, they should take away most of my free time in schools. And it sounds kind of funny. And, and I'm, I guess that means that I was a handful in school, but what ended up was, is that throughout all my time in Catholic education, I was, I was really kept busy, right? So it's, you know, I was always on tuition assistance. So I was working and I'm working with sisters and brothers and mentors and educators and always around the school and even in college working during the summers. And now looking back, what I understand is, is that I got a lot of opportunities to, to not only learn from people, but I was given a lot of chances to try things. And because I was around, they gave me the keys to the school and I had the chance to figure out how we might do something that's a little bit different. And, and you know, they basically just kept me busy. And, and that mentoring for me was really, really important. And so now I think as an educator, I really think about those opportunities that kids might have, especially what we kind of would say, you know, in between classes or after the bell or that five o'clock curriculum, you know. For that student, that opportunity that they might have to get to do something that they didn't otherwise think that they might be able to do. And I think that it's important for students to see how much they mean to the operation of the school as well. Um, not just that the school exists to serve them, but also that they have a responsibility. My mom was a parish secretary, so I grew up in the church, right? So either I was at school or I was you know, serving a mass and doing those weekday masses. And getting that chance to see that there's a lot of people that make this thing possible for me, still is is really important in the way that I work in Catholic schools. I'm really making sure that everybody on this campus, every role, every opportunity has that chance to have value to to participate. And I look back and I think, you know, that was a lot of faith and trust that they put into a squirrely uh, elementary school kid. And I and I really appreciate that, you know, um, now coming into it. And so I was kind of trying to remember there's there is that kid somewhere who's not very good with free time either. And it's our it's our opportunity to to say like look but but you know you actually matter here you're really important and maybe we can use your creativity and your energy in a particular way so you know I, I'm deeply grateful I think I draw upon those lessons more and more the older that I get and it's an important reminder to me how important this ministry is that we get to do and what a blessing it is I don't know if I ever adequately thanked all those people so really I think my ministry today is my way of saying thank you to all those people who kind of put 
you know, the hand on my shoulder and, and said, Hey, look, you can do this. And I I'm really grateful for that. It's really, and it's paying it forward to the, to the next generation. And and it's, it's interesting to hear your story with that, because as somebody who has watched you, you know, be an administrator in, in schools, you know, I see a lot of that carry over into the way that the schools operate, the, that there is always so much going on at the schools and, and really you're focused on things being student-centered. I mean, you've come up with initiatives like leadership initiatives and ways for older students to mentor your, your younger students and, and things along those lines, creating those memories. I mean, I'll never forget when, when kids come to, to your school on the first day, the greeting that they get to create that experience. You know, talk a little bit about how, how that vision came to be, where you're growing up led to the way that you are serving as an administrator at school. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think there's a couple of stages to it, right? I mean, the first is, is saying, which I think we all say in schools, we say, look, students are really important. But then I think it's kind of this daily commitment. I worked with uh, a friend of mine for a long time, and he was very intentional about making sure that people knew that students were at the center of everything. And so if you were in a conversation with him and a student came up, he would stop the conversation and turn to the student. And I remember still to this day, you know, at one point him saying, you know, excuse me, Bishop, there's a student coming up. Now, I don't know who in Catholic education would interrupt the bishop to speak to a student. And I, you know, for me, that was really important because it said, this is what this means to really focus on students. So that's that kind of second part, which is, are we really willing to put other things aside because our students are important? And I think, you know, not only as educators, but as parents, I mean, it, it takes a commitment to stop the other things and the busyness of the day to say, hey, I'm going to focus and you have to put yourself in a position to do that. And I've really admired people who do that. And I, I kind of draw upon that because, of course, in our roles, there's so many things that you can get pulled into from meetings to emails to thinking about the school. I had another colleague of mine who, who would remind me every once in a while, I come out of a meeting and I'm kind of thinking and focusing. And he would sometimes text me like, hey, smile, go be with the students. And really, really powerful and important to be reminded by colleagues that they're the reason that we're here. Let's stop and make time for that. And then I think the other thing that, that, you know, the next step then is to kind of question why we do things. In other words, there's a lot of sort of expectations and paradigms around schools, right? And, and you have to be willing to break some of those rules, right? So, you know, on the, on the first day of school, there can be so much about we have to tell them all this. We have to orient them. We have to do all these other things. And instead, flipping it and saying, what do they really need on that day? And some of it's fun and excitement. And we can get to some of the other information a little bit later. Hey, we can give up some things, you know, maybe give up some of the order, allow a little bit of messiness, allow things maybe to get spilled or, or maybe things don't run exactly on time, but because we're focused on our students, then we're willing to actually make that commitment to, to try to do something a little bit different than what might be expected. Years ago, uh, I was, I was presenting about student leadership and I remember somebody raised their hand and she said something really important. She said, but if you allow the students to do this, what if they mess up? And it was a really important moment for me because it's a totally fair question and it's important to allow people to ask that question. And I, and my response was, and I hope I gave it in the, in the way I intended to, and it's, they're going to mess up. So we know that. So really the question is, how will we support them when they mess up? Because they're doing leadership, they're trying new things. And so it's not a matter of what, what if, because that's such a, you know, if, if that's what you're conveying to your students, of course, they're not going to try things. They're not going to be willing to step out. They're not going to be willing to be themselves. And so instead, we have to agree our students are going to make mistakes, that they're going to mess up. They're going to miss on things. And they should because they're students. And so I, I think actually making that commitment as a school to saying, hey, we're going to be okay with that, I think is really important. I think also, too, some of those paradigms, you know, one of my least favorite phrases is the volunteer list is full. And I always wonder, like, if we could have every single student 
come and volunteer at something, we'd find a way to make it happen. I mean, who would you turn away from a volunteer experience? And the other night we were, uh, we, we do interviews here for admissions and it's, you know, we've, you know, a lot of applicants. And so we actually have some students that volunteer and I had a, a freshman student and, and he's kind of shy and he was wondering, he was doing something else. And I said, Hey, I want you to come and help me with interviews. And he kind of looked at me. So I sent him on his way and he's there and he's talking to parents and his parents came to pick him up. And I said, Hey, give me another hour. Can you just hang out for a little bit? You know, he's really doing this. And, you know, again, he wasn't signed up. He wasn't on the list. He wasn't pre-checked. Any of those things we would do in schools, he might've been the best one that night because he was brave enough to try it. And, and I think that, you know, I broke several rules, right? I, I asked his parents to wait a little bit longer. He wasn't on the sign-up list. We added an additional kid, all those rules. And instead for him, he trusted the school that he could do it. He went out there. He felt like it was a place he could do it. And the parents gratefully trusted us as well. Hey, give me another hour, hang out, have a cup of coffee because your, you know, your son was in the right place, right time. But I think in schools, if we really step back and look at our schools, we have a lot of paradigms, rules, expectations. Like this is the way that we've done it. We always have 30 kids doing this. Like what if we have a thousand kids doing that? What might that look like? Who wouldn't you want to have to take advantage of that opportunity to come and serve other people? And so I think that, um, you know, I really challenge our school and I, and I encourage other schools as well, too, to look at those sort of hidden rules that people have that keep people from those opportunities. And any time that a student gets to be a value, that they get to matter and contribute, I think that then it, that's a good situation. And we have to do everything we can to open up that opportunity. And then I think the ownership of the school becomes theirs. They take a lot of pride in that because, because now it's my school. It's not just Jason's school. It's, it's my school because I'm having that active role as, as a leader, even as a student within the school. So I think that's a great thing. Now you, you mentioned the parents. And, and obviously, without partnering with parents, you, you can't accomplish this. And you just mentioned, hey, I, I, I mentioned to this young man's parents, hey, let me, let me have an hour. And something I always thought was incredible was the parent engagement initiatives that you did. Uh, it, I think it was one of the, the most successful ways that I've seen parents be involved in a school because you didn't look at them as necessarily as volunteers, but as ambassadors. You know, talk to me about how you engage your parents to be partners with you and how you approach this component of the school. This is, a, this is something I'm really passionate about, especially on behalf of Catholic education, because I think we have a unique opportunity and frankly, a, a unique responsibility and call as Catholic schools. And I'll step back a little bit. I, this could probably be a whole separate podcast, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the overview. But I always I tell people in Catholic schools, you know, that the, we're allowed to openly say that we love our students and we love their families, and that and that requires particular things of, of us as as Catholic schools. And so I think that's the foundation of, of what I talk about with parent engagement. And stepping back a little bit, though, you know, engagement's one of those words we use in schools like culture and others. And nobody ever stops to kind of define it, right? So several years ago, a while ago, we actually stopped and said, okay, what do we really mean by engagement? Because then do we know if we're doing it or not? So we actually came up with, we, we talked about three levels, actually. We talked about first participation, people showing up. Then we talked about involvement, which is a lot of your volunteering that you talked about, some sort yep. of you know investment. And then the third was this engagement. And this is what we really got excited about. This is when we talked about conversion. We talked about not just the mind, but the heart actually being changed, right? And we know we want that for our students. That's the purpose of Catholic education, this formation that we're called to do for them. And yet, if we love our students and their parents, then we should be thinking about that same formation for our parents. Now, again, people say, well, you know, Hey, are we allowed to do that? Or, hey, do the parents really want that? And I would say you wouldn't allow a student to say, hey, I'm not sure I really want to be formed. We are absolutely committed to that, even if they might be reluctant or even if they might be busy. And so I really believe that for, for parents as well. So 
that's the core of this. So we're actually looking to create an experience for parents where they are changed and they have that experience that, you know, a faith-filled experience, that they have an intellectual experience, that they create friendships and a, and a network that, that really every human deserves. The challenge, of course, is as you go through education, right? And when you start in elementary, we focus really heavily on volunteering because we need it for our schools. We need that volunteering time. And we know that you know, across the country that those levels decrease over time, right? So by the time they get to middle school, those parents are tired and, and they're, well, the new parents can take over. And then by the time we get them in high school, they're done with that volunteering. The students don't really need them to volunteer in that particular way. And so they kind of can check out. And we're actually saying the opposite. Actually, this is a really important time for several reasons. One is, is that we actually need you to model what it means to be a good, healthy adult in this environment because teenagers are very much looking at you as a model for how to be an adult. And the good news is none of us have to be as parents, gratefully perfect. We need to be a part of a community where we're all showing that to our, to our children. Secondly, we know that students are better when their parents are actually really engaged in the educational process. So if, as you mentioned that those parents who gave me an additional hour the other night, I'm sure they wanted to get home. But they understood, and he was more likely because I think he probably knew if his parents knew he turned me down, it wasn't going to happen, right? So there was this partnership with them where they understood that this was a part of an educational process. And so we're allowed to push their child a little bit more. And then lastly, I think just for, for parents, and I, and I say this especially coming out of the pandemic, I was really struck during that time how much our families really relied upon the school for all of those things. And I really felt that when we came back out of this, that we really needed to make sure that we provided those opportunities for parents to be that best version of themselves. And we could do that. You know, I, I, at school, I can ask about their faith lives. I can give them a chance to do service. Uh, I can ask how they're doing. I can tell them that I love their family and things that they're not getting in other parts of their lives. And so I think it's a really important responsibility that we have to do that for parents. And I think not only does it impact students, but I think that it's also good for them. And I, as I said, I think in Catholic education, this is our unique opportunity and responsibility. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you when you talk about that difference between elevating parents from involved to engaged. It's a whole different ballgame. You know, to me, it's always similar to say, you know, we have a Catholic identity and a Catholic culture. It, it's a much deeper dive there in terms of, of what we're getting into. Now, now, anybody who's been around you for more than five minutes knows that you connect really well with the kids. Um, you know, students, as you look in your office, I know there's student work all over your office. You're, before, for those of you out there, Jason was one of those people making the crazy snow day videos before the snow day videos were, were cruel to be making as a, as a principal. What is it that, that you would say, how are you able to connect so well with your students? And, and how are you able to do so well at that to make that as part of the culture at your school? So I've got four kids. Uh, my youngest is graduating from high school this year. And I think if they were to grade my dad jokes and connections with young people, I don't, I don't think I would grade out all that well. I appreciate that compliment. I think, uh, I think always, you know, for that's something that we hope to do. But I, I, I certainly, um, I, you know, I, I, I guess I would say this with students. Um, you know, I think it's really, really important to encounter our students where they are. I think that, you know, you mentioned the Snow Day video. It's kind of funny. Uh, it, it got out there and it got kind of, you know, it got kind of big out there. But I mean, people ask me about this, oh, you know, how do you do a viral video? I, I knew less afterwards than I knew before. It was really more of a love letter to my students because it was a collection of things we like doing on campus. And, and it was all things outside of my office. It was in their space. And I think for me, 
what I have found is, is that it's, it's just like a parent, you know, the time when you have the conversation with your kid, it's when you're driving them in the car somewhere. It's this, these unexpected moments where they're comfortable. And I think at schools, I think we have the opportunity to get in spaces where students are comfortable and to be there with them and listen to them. Pope Francis would call that the ministry of encounter, right? Be, being with people and encountering them in spaces where they're comfortable. Uh, one of my favorite gospel passages is, is uh, the road to Emmaus. And, and, you know, remembering there's so many parts to that story, but Jesus is traveling with two disciples as they're walking away from Jerusalem and, and getting away from everything, right? And to me, as opposed to being frustrated that they're running away, being, you know, being frustrated that they didn't get the message, they didn't get the lesson. To me, that's that five o'clock curriculum. He's walking with them where they are. And then it's not until later they understand what happened in that conversion. I always think where, what path around this school can we be with students? I would really give all the credit. I, I can't take any credit. I would say I've been fortunate to be at schools where students allow me that privilege of being a part of their lives. And I think as parents, it's the same thing. We just kind of hope that we can be a part of our children's lives at those times when they really want us to be. And I think in schools, I think there are a lot of places if we really observe where our students are really comfortable, they are themselves. And if they give us the privilege of being in those spaces, stop everything else and be present and be with them. And, and I just think that it's one of those things for educators. I really encourage, I, I would always tell bishops that, you know, coming to schools is such a great opportunity to turn off the phone to be present in a space where you're surrounded by this hope and this joy and this energy. If you're concerned about the work of things and, and all the things that we have to manage, you can miss that. If you're, you know, as a parent, my youngest will be graduating this year. The moments that I'm really going to treasure with her might not be graduation or, or big ceremonies. It's that quiet dinner or that moment when we're driving to something where she just, we just have that time together. And so as educators, we have those quiet moments with our students too. And so I just encourage people to stop what you're doing and be in that space. And like I said, I think students have been very kind to me and allowing me to participate in their lives. Well, I know you're you're a big movie buff. So what what is the line from Ferris Bueller? You might miss something, right? So that's uh, right. <laughs> Life moves pretty fast. That's exactly right. Moves pretty fast, indeed. Now, now we we all know this as as principals. We can't do it by ourselves. It, it seems like we're at everything, and we're getting called and pulled every different direction. But but you know that that you have a great team around you. It takes a great team to to really build the culture that you're you're looking to do now. A lot of our principals that are out there might be a one-person show where where they do everything and then some uh, at their schools. Other schools have a larger administrative team where where you may have multiple assistant principals and things like that. I, I've been at your schools. I've seen the aftermaths of of meetings that that you have with regards to student engagement and the the whiteboards just to see all the ideas that are flowing and things like that. But I think it really comes to casting that that vision for your leadership team. And then down to your teachers, which then uh, transcends into your students to ensure that your campus does remain a place that's student-centered and creating that student experience. So tell me, how, how talk about how you go about kind of uh, getting those, your leaders within your building involved and, and how that trickles down. Yeah, I, well, I appreciate you asking about that. And I think it's, I think it's really important. And I do, hope, I do hope that the people that I work with really do feel valued. I, I think there's two parts to this. One is we do spend a lot of time talking about a shared vision, and this is hard to do in education, right? Because we have so much to do. And I think that schools, you know, in my 30 years, I've continued to see schools get more complicated. There's more responsibility, more things we have to do in every direction. And so we have more excuses than ever to, to just get to the management of the day. We did a lot in our meetings and in our habits to say, stop, what is the purpose of this? What's the vision? And, and vision being, what is something going to look like when it gets closer to where we want it to be? 
And the advantage of this, of course, is that one, everybody is on the same page. Everybody assumes when you say same page, meaning that they all have the same plan. That's actually not true. It's that everybody understands the purpose of things. So it's amazing how many things we do at schools, you know, from a from a, a, a mass to a rally to announcements. And it, we assume everybody knows the purpose of those things, but they don't necessarily because we've never stopped to say, why is this important? And does this really matter? We actually had a rule with our administrative team uh, that actually we would say, we would talk about an event and we would stop and we'd say, okay, why are we doing this event? And if we couldn't answer it within five seconds, then we cancel the event. And this is a true story that we actually canceled graduation in a meeting. Now, we also realized kind of like, you know, choosing a new pope, we couldn't leave the room until we actually brought graduation back. But we really stopped. And it kind of, sounds kind of funny, but actually it was really important because we actually talked about why do we do this ceremony? What's important about this ceremony? And then it shifted the way that we approached it, even as we talked about it as colleagues in terms of the celebration with family. And and so so that was a habit that we had to make sure that everybody was on the same page. We understood why. But then the, the second part of that is, is that then people then get freedom to act. If they understand why they're allowed to make adjustments towards that vision, they might be wrong, they might make a mistake, but at least they know where they're going, which then goes to the third point, which is then they know how to evaluate. In other words, it isn't just that we finish graduation. If our reason of graduation was to thank and to value the entire family, then we can evaluate how we you know, gave out tickets, how we welcomed people, how we cared for them. Did that happen in that event? Because that was the purpose of that event. We would tell our students, hey, we really love you and we care about you, but actually this event is about your family. And so we want to make this event about thanking your family. How can we do this better? Because this is an important time because we've had all these senior events with you as students. We finally get your parents at baccalaureate mass and at graduation. How can we best celebrate them? So, so it gave, I think it really gave people a chance to say, I know what the purpose is and I'm allowed to act on that purpose. We would, you know, you talked about the whiteboards. I would say there was something even more important in our meeting rooms. We actually had all of our educator pictures on the wall. Um, it was their yearbook picture. So, so half of them hated having it up on the wall. But the reason was very simple because when we would talk about, okay, purpose, and we would say, all right, we're doing this and here's why we're doing it. We then would look up at that wall and we would say, who really understands that? We got away from the positional authority. We got away from who's responsible for that because whoever's responsible has to manage that event. But if we're really talking about a purpose, the event, who gets that? Who, you know, if we're talking about um, somebody who really is caring for families, who on that wall really can do that well or or wants to get better at that because we've talked to them? So then the second thing we would do after talking about vision is we would talk about who. Who could we put in that position to be a part of this? And it's hard at first, right? Because people are saying, well, I'm not responsible for that. And we're saying, we're not asking you to be responsible. We're just asking you to watch the purpose. Could you be in this group and remind us of, of why we want to do this? I remember years ago when we started doing one-to-one devices, right? And all the conversation is about kids can break it and they can do bad things with it. And it's going to change the classroom and all of these things, right? That seem kind of funny now because it's so it's ubiquitous. And we talked about why are we giving them devices, right? And we said, because they can be more creative. It can create, you know, it, it gives opportunities to students who might not otherwise have them. Uh, it's a new tool that they should learn how to use. And so when we talked about when, how we're going to hand them out on that first day, we not only had a vision of this is fun, this is great, let's enjoy this, let's let's be creative in how we give them out so students can be creative with advice. But we also put people on that team that had nothing to do with IT, but knew everything about being creative. And it's hard, right? Because you can jump in and be like, oh, we've got to you know, have them sign their agreements. We got to make sure that they don't break it. We got to make sure that they remember their charger. All true. 
but not more important than, hey, we have the blessing of this tool. What could we do with this? And those people who were in that position to do that were really important, more important than me, to be honest. Because if I'm saying it, people say, well, yeah, he's supposed to say that. But when a colleague is saying, hey, I really care about that purpose, stay creative, have fun with this, they did a fantastic job. And then, and then that's where it becomes the ownership. And then, it, as we said before, now it becomes not Jason's school, but it becomes our school. Now, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't just say this real quick, because you talk about the ending and the graduation. One of the things that I always thought your schools did very well was the beginning. And talking about a different approach, because you, you know, as a, a freshman parent is coming in to drop their child off for the school you know, to high school for the first time, there can be a lot of fear and anxiety and, and, and things. And so to come around the bend to see what they see or what they saw, at least, you know, in the, in the area that we work together was an incredible experience. Can I just ask you to kind of walk through, I, I don't want to give away too much here, but, but I want to just, if you can kind of walk through what you tried to create on that first day for those students uh, to kick off things. So there was that sense of excitement from the day one. Yeah I, yeah, I think there's two parts to it, right? The first is understanding where parents are at and understanding that it's overwhelming and high school counts, right? So everything you do from the moment you step on is about your college admission and all of these things. So there's very real concerns and unknowns and all sorts of things that you have to take care of for parents. And so you want to make sure that you take away some of those things first. So thinking about it as a progression, really from admission and saying, actually, we're going to show you how we take care of you. So actually our freshman orientation times would start actually a testing, which is really the most kind of college prep sort of thing. And we would actually show the parents how actually we're gonna play games with the students first. We're gonna take care of them. We would, at, we would get the parents together and say, this is a friendly thing. So hopefully there's this sense that we're going to take care of it. And we can't, we can't anticipate everything that's gonna happen over these four years, but we will be here with you. And we're going to go ahead and walk this journey with you. That's the first part. And I think if you don't take care of that, if you just say, hey, just assume this, or we assume that filling out 14 forms is easy for parents and they have time to do this. We all the time, our goal every year was to eliminate at least one of our forms until we got it down to maybe one form for high school. That was our goal, was to actually cut out a lot of the things that were inducing stress. How could we make our application more simple? But then the second part was also giving what we called a lot of pause points. So in other words, we wanted our carpool line on that day to be slow. And the reason was, is that you had 10 extra minutes in the car with your child. We didn't want it to be fast and efficient. That's counterintuitive. But the truth is we wanted you to be able to take a picture and have that moment and stop and slow down a little bit because we knew in four years you were going to miss that moment because that was important to you. We actually said, hey, look, Everything is done from the perspective of those students and from that. So it can be overwhelming when you're stepping in as a new student into that kind of environment. So we talked with our students, hey, you're going to care for them. You want those families to know that their children are cared for and you're going to love them so much. It can be a little bit overwhelming, but we are going to care for them. We used to do our, our freshman parent meeting the night before freshman welcome. And it was rough. I, you know, I'm up there, not a single one of my dad jokes is landing. It's, it's people are concerned. The questions are about what do they wear, everything else. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. So then we actually shifted it to the night of our freshman orientation where they'd gone through orientation that day. We let in when they walk into the theater, the parents, there was a slideshow of all the pictures of the day. And, and so all of a sudden parents realized my kid's going to be okay. So then all of a sudden the questions were totally different. Hey, I met, you know, my son met this other boy today. I want to meet his parents. How do we connect with each other? Our kids are going to be lifelong friends. I want to get involved in this because it seemed like they had a great time. 
I remember I had a parent come up to me after one of those and she said, I am so mad at my son. And I said, wait, wait, really? Why? And she said, I asked him about his day when he didn't say anything. I said, that's because he's 14. And then she yep. said, but then I saw his pictures and he's laughing and he's with all these people. He had a great day. And it was really helpful to give that inside look to parents and saying, this is going to be a great four years. It's going to have, you're going to have tough days and you're going to make mistakes and it's not going to be perfect. But A, we're going to be with you. And B, we're going to stop and have fun with us a little bit too, because you only get one trip around this. And so we want to make sure that they could treasure those moments. And we would say, sitting at baccalaureate mass is going to be important. So here at St. Francis, we actually do a freshman mass in the exact same spot. And we say, you're going to be back here in four years. And here's all the opportunities you're going to have to embrace this. And when you're sitting back here, we want you to be able to give thanks and worship for this time together. And that's, and I think that creates an amazing experience and it creates that excitement level because, you know, you talk about being counterintuitive to sit in a long carpool line. Okay. And, and to talk, just to give our, our people that are listening the, just an impression of this, just imagine rolling up to high school on the first day with a marching band playing and a hundred students there to give you a bumper sticker and to get you out of the car and let's go and teaching you the fight songs. But there's that investment of time early in the students that I think really pays off with that school pride over the next four years. And so I, I think that's just something that, that is incredible. Now, as, as schools, uh, as Catholic schools, you know, there's so much going on and, and it's so easy for schools to lose that mission of, of, well, we're Catholic in name. Your schools are rooted in the Catholic faith. How do you make sure that that remains a focus? At your school, across all everything across the school, whether it be you know extracurriculars, athletics, or or whatever whatever the case might be, how do you make sure that that Catholic faith is something that your school is is rooted in? Yeah, I think a lot of schools, um, you know, we think about the signs and symbols and activities, and certainly that's important, right? Those are the habits and practices that remind us every single day. I think for me, I think it's taking it a step further. We talked about loving parents. We talked about giving kids opportunities that may not be convenient for us as a school. You know, sometimes it's really loving people when, you know, they can make it difficult because schools are, can be difficult. You can go through difficult situations. I've got a, a friend of mine who, who is a priest who still sends me his homilies from North Carolina. And he had a homily the other day where he talked about, you know, he didn't want people after his homily to say that was a nice homily. So, you know, the, the, the gospel message is challenging. It, it should be encouraging and hope-filled, but it's also challenging. And so I think that one of the things that we talk about in terms of, of really maintaining our, not only Catholic identity, but our call is to challenge ourselves. So in other words, you know, I would, I would talk to people, um, you know, athletics, right? It's very common. Hey, we're going to make this a tough place to play. And, and you know, we're, we're going to be, be tough in teams. And I would say, we want to be very competitive, but we are going to love their students and their families as much as we love our own. We can't say we love our students and we don't love their students. And so what that means is we want this to be a great competitive environment and we want them to love coming here because they know that they're loved. We want people to know that in this space, we will care for them because this might be the only time they come to a, a Catholic institution. And so that holds us to a particular standard. And I think that is what it means to be a Catholic school, that we're going to be asked to do things that other people wouldn't necessarily think or within their responsibility, or it's easy to kind of say, yeah, that's not really convenient. We are asked to do inconvenient things and, and out of love for other people. And I think that's really important. And then I think 
along with that, and that's integrating it in everything that we do. So it's not just in athletics, but it's it's in our robotics program. And how then do we offer these opportunities? We're um, we're doing a lot of work here in Silicon Valley. We're bringing in a lot of partnerships from really exciting you know companies. Obviously, we're just right walking distance to everywhere from NASA and Ames to Google and Apple. They're all right in our neighborhood. What I what I think is really important is is that it's not just that we're getting resources and partnerships from them, but we provide them a place where we can have really authentic conversations on campus. So for example, obviously AI is a, is a massive conversation topic right now. And I got to imagine in a workplace, if you say, well, let's talk about the morality and the ethics of, of AI, that's an uncomfortable conversation. But guess what? They can come here and have that conversation. And so it is our responsibility to have that conversation and invite people into that here and say, we care enough about you to give you that space. So, so it's not just those habits and practices that I think are incredibly important for our young people and our families. But it's also that then the people that we bring into this know at all times and their touch point might just simply us being first welcoming and hospitable. And they might later come to understand that that's because that's a part of our faith and our call. And then again, you know, as we talked about previously, the giving our students that chance to do that. So to say, how do we welcome? I had a student, you know, this year give a presentation to a whole group of donors and say, I want this to be the friendliest place to play. And it's funny, we, we, we were very successful in athletics and people couldn't quite compute that. And she said, I love being here so much. I think everybody should feel that same way, even if they just visit once during the season. And I listened to a student say that. And I said, that's it. That is our message. That's it. And there's the and Catholic culture. That's exactly right. There's the Catholic culture. It permeates through right there and through all things. Now, one day, as much as, you know, I, I don't know if you ever sleep at night because you just go, go, go with everything <laughs> that you're doing throughout the course of the day. But one day... Jason Curtis is, is going to retire and, and be able to go surfing every day uh, and, and uh, step away from education. What, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind for the students, faculty, and the families that you've led? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to retire. I remember the Sisters of Mercy said I'm not good with free time. I, I think, you know, for me, it's it's just in the in the people. It's the leadership. I think um, my most exciting thing is is seeing our students and our colleagues and, and parents and partners actually take real leadership. I think this is a really exciting time in Catholic education. I understand there are challenges in education. There are challenges in Catholic education. But I also think it's an incredibly exciting time because I think that we're called to do something very unique and important. And I think that our job as, as leaders, and especially now some of us who've done this for a little bit longer, is that we have to speak with a language of hope uh, for young leaders. I think that's the most important thing we can do right now is be telling our students and in our educators that this is something for you to lead. You've been given this blessing and this opportunity to be in Catholic education, and we need your leadership. And so for me, if nothing else, my hope is, is that there's at least one person out there someday in the future who says, I know I can do this because somebody believed in me at one point. And and I think that we have to be really intentional. I, this is something that's very important to me. And I think, you know, anytime we're together as Catholic school leaders to really be thinking about, are we giving people opportunities to know that this is theirs, that they've been called to do this ministry and that they can do this. And at this time, if we're not thinking about the leaders that are around us, you know, and Mother Teresa, we talk about this all the time, you know, who, who do we love? Well, God has given you people to love. Like we, I have the next generation of leaders right around me right now. And so, so every day, my hope is, is that I can get better at encouraging them and letting them know that this is a wonderful opportunity for them that they've been called to. And then I hope that that legacy is that at some point when they're, you know, maybe they're doing this work and they're challenged or they're, you know, tired as we all get, 
that they just have a little sense of that encouragement that that I believed in them, and I and I really do. I'm really excited about where this is going. You know, I'm fortunate I do have one of my, one of my children who's currently teaching, and it's exciting. You know, this year I'm going to get to actually present with her at a conference, and this idea of getting to present with you know one of your own kids about Catholic education is just. I, I don't, you know, I, I feel incredibly fortunate and lucky to be able to see that next generation take this over. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it's truly a vocation. I always said that it's not a, it's not just a job. It's a vocation to be a Catholic educator. And so uh, and an exciting one. That's something that we share in common. There is that that excitement for the future of Catholic education. Jason, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us a little bit. I uh, the information and just a wealth of knowledge as always. So I just want to say thank you so much for everything and, and wish you the best of luck moving forward. I really appreciate it, John. It was great to speak with you. Thanks so much for all the work that you're doing and, and sharing this out with people. And let me know if there's anything that I can do for you going forward. All right, man. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks.